The January 6th agenda keeps unfolding. Where is it headed and why does it matter? I'm Monica Perez and this is today's Deep Dive. Today's most intriguing headline to me was out of the Wall Street Journal. Investigation of January 6th Capitol attack enters new phase. Committee plans to hold public hearings as it attempts to connect rally on White House ellipse with violence at the Capitol. So they're talking about Trump's speech at the ellipse, which is a park or a lawn near the White House, and the violence, supposed violence at the Capitol. I will start tearing that the assumptions in that headline apart by the end of this. I don't agree with any of the stuff that they report in the Wall Street Journal as if they were facts and evidence. But I'm going to read a few of the lines, the passages from the article, kind of take them apart a little bit. And then I'm going to give you my overview, kind of a little bit of a recap on January 6th and what I think about that and also where I think it's going. So let's just start with the article. Congressional investigators are preparing to open a new public phase of their probe into the January 6th attack on the Capitol as they attempt to make a case that former President Donald Trump and people involved with his campaign motivated some rioters who took part in the violence. Motivated. So motivating the rioters is the crime here. But I actually think that what they're doing is they're writing history. So there's a lot in what they're what this new phase of the quote investigation. There's a lot of things that plug in here, the midterms, free speech. But this part caught my eye because the congressional investigators are really the people who are writing the history. And to make it public, it's kind of like these leaks that come public. They kind of become part of the historical record, even if they're not official, even if there is no evidence, if it doesn't come out the way they want. So they've already started to lay the groundwork for something that's considered criminal, whether they can ultimately get it done or not. And also it implicates some of these actors in criminal activity. The Wall Street Journal goes on to say, and this just makes me nuts because the Wall Street Journal, remember, is supposed to be the one on the right, the one that is connected to Fox and the alternative to the CNN narrative. And listen to this paragraph. And I was looking at it thinking, is this not in quotes? Like, who is saying this? But this is just their writing. The House Select Committee investigating the attack. The attack already, I object to that, has focused on two separate but overlapping chains of events. One, the planning and execution of the rally by Trump supporters in their attempt to overturn the results of the presidential election. The result wasn't even in yet. The result wasn't even in yet. That's what this was all about. And two, the ensuing storming of the building itself. I'm sure most of you have heard this already, but if you look at the original videos that came out, there wasn't a storming. There there were guided tours. Police were, it looked like a guided tour of people with selfie sticks, like they were privileged tourists. That's about it. That's what it looked like to me, but we can dig into that a little bit too. So that already, that line by the Wall Street Journal already takes out the real facts at issue. So if you think that you can count on them, you have to wonder why they're in on this. They go on to say, drawing connections between the Trump speech and the storming of the Capitol could determine whether the investigation implicates White House figures, including Mr. Trump, 
in a violent attempt to halt the certification of Joe Biden's electoral college victory. That's just a presupposition right there. Such a finding could then prompt the committee to consider criminal referrals to the Justice Department, which would then have to decide whether to proceed. Now, this whole thing even goes calls into question if it was possible for Trump to have any responsibility for this, since as far as I know, he was still speaking by the time the storming the Capitol happened. He started late, and I think whoever orchestrated this, they didn't count on that. There have been 828 people charged so far in the connection with the storming of the Capitol, but nobody involved in this rally except Trump himself. And I like forget that, that he was actually impeached a second time. It was quickly done away with, obviously he wasn't convicted, but this puts it in the record that this guy was impeached for inciting an insurrection. And he's the only the second, the only occurrence where a president was impeached twice. The journal says that Trump, who gave a speech at the Ellipse, told supporters to march to the Capitol and was impeached by the House on a charge of inciting insurrection, but was acquitted by the Senate. So some of the stuff that he said was totally ambiguous, and it really is a stretch to act like he was convicted of this because, he you know, they're talking about as if he were convicted of it, but he was not. It is one of the more important elements why they're continuing on with this. I think there are much bigger picture goals here, but this is definitely a short term goal. It says the Democrat led committee plans to hold public hearings in June, some in prime time with a full report on the investigation expected in the fall. So clearly this is going to have a lot of publicity elements to it. It is just in time for the midterm elections, which are this fall. And CNN even says that if the Republicans win or take back Congress, Senate, whatever, in the fall, that this committee will be disbanded. So this is a House committee, so it would have to be Congress. And actually, it's a pretty slim majority of Democrats in Congress. And I think most people think at this point that the Republicans will get a majority. I think it would only have to be maybe a half a dozen people flip from Democrat to Republican. And that's kind of common in midterms when uh, say in this case, when a Democrat won, that the Republicans would win more seats in the midterm than than uh, they did before even take control of the actual House. But the Senate is also kind of up for grabs because that's 50-50. That's 50% Democrat. It's 50 Democrat seats and 50 Republican seats. And although, as usual, a third of them are up for re-election, 14 of those are Democrats. So you could say, well, that's that's not a lot. Not as many Democrats are in danger. But in fact, a lot of times the same guy wins or the same party wins. And so all they'd have to do is flip one seat from Democrat to Republican, which is seems more likely than flipping a seat from Republican to Democrat to actually have then the majority in both Congress and the Senate, which would put an end to this stuff. Probably, but a lot of damage will have been done by then. The committee's investigation and its efforts to connect the rally on the White House ellipse with the violence at the Capitol is focusing on a group of individuals with longstanding ties to Mr. Trump, including Trump advisor Roger Stone and InfoWars broadcaster Alex Jones, both of whom have had links to the far-right Oath Keepers militia and the Proud Boys. Now, I have to do a deep dive on the Oath Keepers and maybe also the Proud Boys, but the guys who ran it, run it, the heads, Rhodes and Tario have been indicted in their activities for that day. 
but or for those activities. And actually, the problem with that is I really call into question these guys who run these things. I think those things are a little bit of like honeypots where they... You know, if the if the feds didn't have didn't set up these organizations, then a real one might emerge and really might be a problem. Or if a real one emerges, the FBI or whomever, the CIA, would immediately infiltrate it and have to take it over. I mean, that's just how it works. They're very well organized. They cannot handle organized, growing resistance movements. And I used to really like the Oath Keepers. I never tried to, I don't try to tear these things down. I don't try to black pill. And I never really tried to tear down the Oath Keepers because I actually knew some callers or callers would call in who seemed very legit to me who were a part of that because they felt like if in as a part of their jobs, they had to take an oath to the Constitution, they were asserting that they would uh, abide by that oath to the Constitution, not just obey orders from somebody who was violating the Constitution. But the guy, this Rhodes guy, has what I would consider kind of sus backstory. And I call into question if these guys were super smart in how they led their people into this. And once they got indicted and I start to think about what could come out of that, they could make statements, they could plea bargain, they could do something that would really work against the interests of maybe some innocent people that they roped into these activities. And the way they did it was pretty stupid. I mean, if you look at the FBI most wanted videos and pictures of the people they still haven't apprehended from January 6th. I mean, it's guys like hitting cops with sticks. I mean, this is not what a militia group of thousands of people who are in law enforcement or in the military or whatever. Um, I guess it would be federal law enforcement. I think regular law enforcement doesn't know if there's a constitution, but they might. But it's just not how you would organize a militia or an insurrection. It just isn't. So these guys were kind of led to the slaughter. And if If their leaders make statements that would hurt their own defense, that can be brought, if they're considered co-conspirators, it could be brought into the trials against these other people and really screw them over. So I'm a little nervous about that. But as far as like the Roger Stone and Alex Jones... They are more high profile. They, I don't, Alex Jones really does seem like his wheels are shooting off, but I've, I've long been suspicious that he is there as I called it a taint agent where he'll take like a completely valid cause and act nutty around it and taint it. And I guess he would just have to be the right man for the job. He wouldn't necessarily have to be in on it. So I'm not as focused on him, but Stone, Roger Stone seems a lot more sophisticated. He certainly does have that wacky element. He would, does draw attention to him. He does say bold things and can emerge as a hero and some of the things he did. I think he went to jail for Trump and that kind of thing. But he pled the fifth. Alex Jones pled the fifth, which, of course, makes this implication of having something to hide your Fifth Amendment right not to testify against yourself. And and this was just in a congressional committee. And I think they could have just given them immunity for their statements there. A permanent like from all of this and really got into the truth. So that's kind of like a, a weird way to approach it. But he said afterwards that the idea, even though he took the fifth, he said afterwards that his the idea that he was involved in illegal activities on January 6th is categorically false. And in an email to the journal, Stone said the stop the steal activities were, quote, protected acts of both free speech and assembly. And this is where I think it's coming down. I think that there is a major goal here. It's not just the midterms. There's a major goal to uh, of these investigations. And if these guys end up being on trial to delineate speech 
That is not allowed because it is dangerous. It is inciting, whatever. They've already, I've never been a fan of even of barring speech that says, you know, crying fire in a theater because there are remedies for that. There are, if actual damages occur, you can be, you are held liable for them. It doesn't have to be like an a priori restraint, like a before the fact, you can't do this. And if you actually say those words, then you get arrested. The real standard should be if your words cause real damage if you intended it to, et cetera, just kind of like the standards of tort law, then you're held responsible. And that's a major deterrent. I mean, it's as as much or more of a deterrent than just getting arrested. And furthermore, this speech that he's talking about and his point about assembly is also an excellent one because we've really, we never really focused before on the right to assemble and lockdown had greatly curtailed that right, if not shut it down completely. And I, and I think they were after that, too. But this is the very speech that must be protected. It's the very speech that must be protected. So like those guys, Rhodes and Tario of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, respectively, like those guys getting the first bite at the apple for some of the trials or statements on what really happened, if these guys are actually there to if Roger Stone or Alex Jones are the ones fighting to lay out, to draw the line in the sand for free speech and free assembly, I'm not sure I can count on them. Just like, was it Sidney Powell? Is that her name? And Linwood? You know, I'm not sure I can count on them to actually fight the best fight and set that precedent in a place where it belongs. That if they really are not 100% on our side or even on their own side if it isn't what you see is what you get they could allow they could accept a precedent that is too restrictive and that carries weight precedent carries weight I remember when Brian Festa said that about the covid stuff it's like we want to get in there and do the precedents ourselves so that other people don't win cases that we could have done better on so that seems to be the the direction that this is is headed as far as like a few of the things that might come out of this. Now, I think I've said a few times, if not many times, what I actually think happened that day. I believe that there were provocateurs there. I think they failed to provoke. I think a lot of the stuff that came out afterwards was maybe even staged. I do feel like there's a lot of histrionics here. So even though over the year before, there was also provocateurs on the left creating violence and protests and getting people to do illegal things, I think that they actually provoked the left to do those things. And then you have a lot of footage of that. But on the right, it's hard to provoke them, but it has to be the right who are the kind of, quote, terrorists in this case, because it's the right that they really want to crack down on because of where we're going. What's the next phase in this operation? Where I think it's going is this idea of it's, it's almost a revolution or a coup from within from the left. So I know that was an underlying backdrop of the Trump thing, of the QAnon stuff, trust the plan, we're going to get the military and we're going to execute a coup, which always like totally baffled me because he was the actual sitting president. And usually military coup is against the sitting president. So, uh, but then they started like the Obama deep state, Obama holdovers, all of that stuff. But 
that may be predictive of what is actually going to happen. I don't know. And it may have some elements of truth to it in that, yes, I believe that what this revolution that is coming from within is of a leftist or at least totalitarian restrictive nature. And that if they're just trying to incite a civil war, it's not just a civil war for its own sake. It's a civil war to also take out the people and be able to label them as domestic terrorists, the people who want to defend the Constitution. And I'm not just saying that, like, these are the patriots defending the Constitution. There's a lot of times that the so-called right, or, I mean, I hate to use those that language because it's so packed with prefab labeling, but they were wrong on a lot of stuff like the Middle East and sovereignty and our sovereignty, but not theirs. And we have rights given from God, but other people don't. And, you know, that was a slippery slope with Guantanamo. That was a way to get uh, this idea that terrorists, quote, if someone you label a terrorist doesn't get rights. But now you see them slide over to where the terrorists are the ones who were meant to be protected by those rights. I'm not saying they're terrorists. I'm saying that they're labeling them. And, and in so doing, they actually divorce them from the rights that the founders specifically gave to people who were objecting to a tyrannical government. And in this case, it's tyrannical government that, that exercises its power outside the Constitution. That in itself is like, that's actually what those rights are for, to defend that. And I think they've been after the Constitution for a long time. I remember when Michael Chertoff, who was the second Homeland Security chief, said that Congress needs to establish a new legal architecture for this country because of terrorists. I think he was talking about foreign terrorists, but it's very clear what they're actually doing. And why do they want to get rid of the Constitution? Do they really worry about terrorists, foreign or domestic? Not at all. I think they've actually created all of this from whole cloth from the beginning for decades now because the Constitution is the threat to them and their power and their control. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's if it's rises to the level of lizard people, but I will say it does rise to the level of um, at least to wanting to rob basically everybody of the surplus fruits of their labors and make sure that they can kind of command and control. And in order to do that, A, they can label people terrorists and just kind of take away your rights without an actual coup, or if they were successful in literally starting some kind of civil war, they could say, okay, the Constitution doesn't apply anymore. It, it isn't meant for this situation and then tear it down, which I consider the Constitution to be the thin parchment line that separates the entire world from liberty to tyranny. The governments of the world kind of hold back because if we were to witness from here the, the true power of, an, of a government against an unarmed, conditioned white, you know, unaware populace, we would redouble our defensive efforts. But as it is, they want everything to seem calm, to seem like the people who defend those rights are the problem. And in the end, if it is a civil war they're after, it doesn't even necessarily have to end with total capitulation or a new constitution. The very person who wrote that novel that got me thinking, not novelist book of his opinions, uh, that got me thinking in these terms, the Stephen Marsh, it was called The Next Civil War. 
a way to resolve it might just be secession. And he actually calls into, he calls up the Roe versus Wade problem and say, you know, maybe secession is the right answer here. It's interesting because when he when he's calling for the next civil war and I'm thinking total capitulation seems so major, it seems so dramatic, it seems like it would be hard to conjure. But if they're really after secession, that might even make a little bit of sense in that it looks like they are slowing us down, slowing down our transportation, slowing down our information, uh, and almost making us that modular world where it's easy to have command and control from the top with all the surveillance and the censorship, but it wouldn't be so easy for people to really band together and rise up if they can really cordon us off, at least physically, so that if we have to communicate, it has to be kind of electronically. They can control that. Things get flagged that way. So that is the st- that reminds me of the kind of scenarios from the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation scenario handbook or whatever, where they were talking about how different styles of social evolution could still lead to their technological really dominance or domination. And actually, it's funny because Marsh said, you know, the next book I should probably write is going to be about the how great it is that we have all this tech and the power of tech and um, embrace the tech. So maybe that is what he's after. So I see that this January 6th thing has a few goals, like the midterm elections for sure, writing an official narrative that they're going to call up, perhaps trying to start a civil war, or at least put anybody who resists the trends in education or um, any of the other trends that parents are finding so disturbing these days to make sure there's a basket a demonic criminal event basket to throw those people into. So there's that. And, but it looks like these are still moving pieces. So it's not like it's hopeless. There's definitely some hope. And I do always like to start my day and maybe end the show on a positive note. My, my old program director used to call it a piece of chocolate. Doesn't have to be original or profound, just a little piece of chocolate like you get at the end of a meal in a nice restaurant. So I was thinking about what kind of gets me through, and I find it very hopeful I, the, that the most important thing that a person can do to make a difference in this crazy world is totally within their control, and that is really to take care of your people and yourself, especially yourself. Don't let yourself get too stressed out. So I just try to stay on top of what's going on. And I try to stay connected with like-minded people. If somebody's doing something that is that does move the ball forward, even though it's not my thing to be an activist, I will try to pitch in in any way I can. I always offer, what can I do to help? Uh, but don't panic. You know, enjoy it. I think that they, they, they feed off the fear. So thank you very much for joining me for this deep dive. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. You can find Deep Dives with me, Monica Perez, at The Propaganda Report on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can usually uh, get my attention by tweeting at me at Monica Perez Show.